Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic. Last episode, we got real meta, then covered the Lost Tribe of the Sith and Star Dragons before finally introducing Ulit Keldroma and the Beast Riders of Onderon. Now we see the effects of space racism on one of our heroes, go in-depth on the best dinosaur Jedi, and introduce the original Knights of the Old Republic. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in Legends. All right, we're going to start with Tales of the Jedi, Ulic Keldroma and the Beast Wars of Undron, which takes place uh, 4,000 years before the Battle of Yavin and was published in 1993 in a two-issue comic series by Tom Veitch. So it's setting the Great Sith War. In uh, the year 4000, the Galactic Republic is largely as stable as it has ever been. In a thousand years since the Sith were last seen, Jedi Watchmen patrol systems, and new worlds are joining the Republic. Tales of the Jedi, Ulrich Keldromo, uh, Keldromo marks the beginning of the Great Sith War, which lasts four years until uh, 3,996, and eventually spans the galaxy, involving the Jedi, Sith, Krath, the Galactic Republic, Mandalorians, and others. Um, the first two stories in the... Uh, in the Great Sith War are personal to the uh, titular characters for the most part, but it's it's where it starts. That's right. Now, we, we begin on the planet of Arcania, where Ulic and K. Keldroma and Tot Donita all train under Master Arkajeth at his Jedi Praxium. The three are very strong in the Force, with Ulic perhaps being the strongest Jedi of his time. Though he's also arrogant and sometimes foolish. After training, Master Arca gathers them together and tells them of a world called Onderon, which has just joined the Galactic Republic. Jeth tells the history of Onderon and one of her moons, Dixun, which came into contact with the atmosphere of Onderon many years before and allowed the vicious beasts of Dixun to migrate planetside. The native peoples of Onderon built giant walls around their sole city, Isis, and threw criminals outside to be killed by the predators. However, the criminals eventually learned to survive and thrive in the exile, taming many of the beasts, including the flying Drexel. Uh, just think of it like a pterodactyl that you could ride on the back of and put guns and stuff on. For hundreds of years, the two sides wage war, and the Jedi are now needed to broker peace. Master Arca, as the new watchman for the Onderon system, sends the three Jedi sends his three Jedi apprentices to the planet alone, thinking this is a simple mission. Ulik, Kay, and Tot are nervous, but ready to prove themselves. Upon their arrival, Tot is apprehended as the Onderonian society is prejudiced against aliens. But Kay and Ulik draw their lightsabers, as good allies do, and are ready to defend him. However, Queen Emanoa, the ruler of Onderon, grants them safe passage and an audience. Despite this, Tot has suffered the first recorded instance of space racism, or spacism, um, 
he still defends Andron despite their bigoted ways because he's just a good being. Kind of think also Charles Xavier, all X-Men kind of defending humanity despite anti-mutant racism. Tangent, sorry. Mm-hmm. For the mm-hmm. queen, <laughs> who seems much older than she said, uh, the Jedi are making their introductions but are interrupted by an infiltration team, including specialized beast warrior commandos. Um, these commandos make off with Princess Galia and they retreat. Amanoa is furious and demands that the Jedi return her daughter, which Ulik immediately agrees to, despite pleas from his fellow Jedi that, you know, something isn't right and perhaps they should call their master Arca. The Jedi leave in their ship immediately, but are eventually shot down due to fire from the Beast Riders encampment. Kay says the ship can be repaired, but it'll take time. Tot uses his force power of animal kinship to domesticate three Bomas for their use, and the three Jedi ride in ready to battle. However, instead of interrupting a kidnapping, they interrupt the wedding of Princess Galia and Orin Kira, the son of the leader of the Beast Riders. I, I bet the you know the society pages there. They just had a field day with that one. Uh, these two are star-crossed lovers who met by chance, and Galia has decided to give up her life and title to marry Orin, but they also wish to free her of her mother's dark side influence, which which shocks the Jedi as they have barely suspected anything, much less since the dark side at work. Galia explains that her family had been under the under its influence for hundreds of years since the rule of the Dark Jedi freed Nad, and his descendants still rule the planet. Ulik, however, believes he can broker peace between Aminoa and the couple, hoping to unite the groups without war and rid the planet of the dark side, but says that the Jedi will fight with the Beast Warriors if, if peace fails. The Jedi, Galia, and Orin Kira return to Isis to attempt peace while Moden Kira, Orin's father, prepares for war as he will as he believes Galia will not relent. So the Jedi and their friends attempt to reason with Aminoa, who is furious with her daughter, but they are unsuccessful. With Ulik's failure, Modan leads his beast riders in a, into heated battle. Um, the, the dark side and the well-defended city of Aziz turn the battle against them quickly. Emanoa then, for the first time, gives herself fully to the dark and calls upon the spirit of Nod, who is entombed below the palace chamber, to help her. The room is totally darkened and the Jedi fight for their lives, driving Emanoa into Nod's tomb. But, both, but not before Kay loses his left arm in the fight and finds a droid arm to replace it with, doing field surgery right there on the spot on himself. Surprise, now I'm a cyborg. Of course, Tot Donita was the first to sense the dark side at work here. Um, all looks lost for the Jedi and the Beast Riders on Onderon. Arca, meanwhile, sensed the danger of his students and traveled to Onderon. Upon arrival, he used his skill at battle meditation to turn the tide of battle in favor of the Beast Warriors and then joined the Jedi. Amanoa is killed by Arca due to the encompassing power of the light side in the darkness of the tomb. The Jedi begin the Tomb of Frieden Nad for removal to Duxun, while Galia and, or- and Oren are married, sealing their rule over a united Onderon and ending the Beast Wars after nearly 400 years. Arca chides his students for not sensing the, d- 
not sensing the dark side earlier, but Ulick says that they were never trained to sense such power or for the dark manifestations that they would encounter, to which Arca grudgingly agrees. Here we have another example where the Jedi didn't fully train someone and it almost cost them. Uh, it's that this, this was always interesting to me because they show up, it was presented to them as a simple mission. They show up and are in over their heads by something that none of them knew was there. And, uh, you know, Arca is, he gets there and he's, he's obviously mad at them. And, and Ulick is like, yeah, we didn't, you, you didn't ever tell us about this. <laughs> you know, this, this is, uh, <laughs> this, this is far different from anything, you know, we, we ever discussed. We didn't, we, we weren't taught to sense the dark side like this. And Arca's like, yeah, yeah, I, I guess you're right. I, I guess I didn't teach you <laughs> well enough. And, yeah. And uh, right here we have uh, Canon Alert 7. Onderon has been both mentioned by name and shown in the canon as the home of Saw and Stila Guerrera and the place where the first seeds of the later, much larger rebellion began in the Clone Wars. Since it's so many years later, you know, 4,000 or so, depending on if and how they do it in the new canon, uh, none of the portrayals override the EU version of the planet. And uh, indeed, much of the background info uh, is carried over is carried over in the form of minor details into the new canon, including the presence of a planetary monarchy, Isis being the capital and a walled city, and it having been a largely jungle planet and overrun by savage beasts, thus necessitating the large walls. And I think even... Um... I think we even see the uh, um, Saw and the Saw and Stila Guerrera leading uh, their forces against this separatist occupation using those um, those flying beasts. Um, the uh, the Drexel. There's they manage to make it so that there is a sort of I don't know uh, animal armory or inventory. The creatures were used for war in the way that there, which is a neat a neat carryover um, into the the television universe is not exactly. yet the cinematic. All right. Next we have um, the Tales of the Jedi, the saga of Nomi Sunrider. And this is the year uh, 3,999. It was first published in 1993 and 1994 as a three-issue comic series by Tom Beach. The uh, the art style for this comic, um, as well as uh, Lula Calderoma and the uh, Beast Riders of Andron is drawn heavily from the artwork, um, from the work, sorry, of uh, Kurosawa. Um, to the artist uh, Christian Gossett lists as his inspiration. Um, at the time in its history, Lucas was still approving much work, um, even sending questionnaires to each and the others in the team to ensure that the story stayed within Lucas's ideas for the ancient Jedi. Um, and so if you read the comics, you'll notice that Nomi's depiction changes um, between the first and second issue, um, which is a change in who the artists were drawing them on. First, a friend of the original artist, and then uh, drawn by other people. Um, so some continuity in appearance, which is, I guess, something we're more used to in comics now, but definitely a thing then. Um, also in 1994, the first two Tales of the Jedi comics, this, uh, yeah, Beast Riders Vondron and the Saga of Nomi Sunrider are compiled into a single collected edition called Knights of the Old Republic, 
which, um, as you've probably guessed by now, served as the basis for the title of BioWare's uh, well-loved uh, role-playing game from 2003 and its sequel. Um, but we have to get to the comic Knights of the Old Republic before we get to the uh, video game Knights of the Old Republic. Indeed. Starting with the characters here, uh, we begin at Nomi Sunrider. Nomi is a reluctant Jedi who is exceedingly strong in the Force, including battle meditation. Uh, she was so re respected by the Jedi that she was one of, one of roughly 10 named Grandmasters of the Order in the entire Legends, you know, from, from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, though she does suffer much much tragedy, and uh, she is uh, one of my favorite characters in all of Star Wars. And uh, though it was just a random suggestion um, when we were trying to name our daughter, I briefly suggested Nomi as a name. That is how much I love this character. Um, Vima Sunrider, the daughter of Nomi and Ander. Uh, she doesn't do much here. She's only about one at the time, though her immense force, force potential is noted by Thawne, and she becomes his apprentice as well. She also has a cute stuffed Ewok. She holds like a little teddy bear, which is absolutely adorable, and I will put a picture of this in the description. And also, I literally found this out like an hour ago, and I think it's adorable. We have Canon Alert 8. The stuffed Ewok has made was made canon during the first season of Star Wars Resistance in the background of a character's room. I seriously doubt they took the inspiration from Vima or this story and probably just included it because it's a universally cute concept, but we're counting it anyway because we can, and I think it's really cute. Next, we have Ander Sunrider, a Jedi who looks like he smells like patchouli and dies like a chump. But he does return as a Force ghost, so he's got me there. Uh, then we've got Thawne, the best dinosaur Jedi, a master who leads the Praxium on Ambria. Thawne was first mentioned by name in the end notes to Veitch's first big Star Wars comic run, Dark Empire, in 1988. And then we've also got Boga the Hutt, Os Willem, and Finhead Stonebone. I love all of these names. The best one. It's the best one. I love it. <laughs> all right. And so we are, um, we are again, we are at 3,999 uh, BBY. This takes place on uh, Hrath in the Stennis, the Stennis system, hyperspace terminal, and Ambria. Um, and to start the story off, we have uh, Nomi, Ender, and their daughter, Vima, and True to Star Wars form, there's an annoying droid. This one is named BD. They leave Hrath with a satchel full of Adagon lightsaber crystals, a gift from Ender's master, Chama, to his new teacher, Thon. Ender is a Jedi Knight, and though Nomi is Force-sensitive and very strong in the Force, she is reticent to become a Jedi. While stopping for supplies at a hyperspace terminal, an old waypoint near the opening to a hyperspace lane, Think of it sort of like an intergalactic rest stop. <laughs> uh, Boga the Hutt's gang hear talk of the Adagan crystals, and their master tells them to retrieve the prize and kill the Jedi. Always, always goes well for gangsters when that happens. The gang splits up and eventually takes Ender unawares, and they kill him with poison from an unseen creature with a bite to the neck, while two goons distracted him from the front. 
Ander becomes one with the Force, but briefly appears as a Force ghost to Nomi, and oddly Vima too, who sees the ghost and knows him as Daddy. This is one of the only times a ghost appears to more than one being. Ander tells Nomi to retrieve his lightsaber, protect the family, take the crystals, and learn the Force from Thawd. Nomi kills two of the thugs, having never picked up a lightsaber before, and flees. Nomi and Vima make it to Ambria, but Nomi is distraught and scared. Ambria is mostly a desert, and following the Force leads her past a dark side nexus in the form of a swamp, which speaks to her and tugs at her fears not to go to Thon. Eventually, she sees a man she recognizes as a Jedi riding a large beast. However, before she can get to them, Boga's thugs set upon them from all sides, and they look to be overwhelmed. But looks can be deceiving, as the beast is actually Master Thawne, and the rider is his Jedi apprentice, Os Willem. Os and Thawne defeat the thugs, who escape back to report their failure. Incidentally, Thawne is a member of the... Uh, Chukthai Chukthai species I don't know Chukthai species uh, they're basically uh, sentient triceratops from a secret planet in the unknown region Thon was discovered to be strong in the force and his people very intelligent but their secret was kept by Thon's master at his request due to fears his people would be exploited and his home ravaged that was, those fears were probably well-founded given the Republic's history. While Thon and his people could walk and interact as bipedal creatures, they preferred quadrupedal movement. This led many to assume they were nothing more than beasts of burden. Uh, Thon actually carried many of his students and other Jedi on his back, uh, similar to a, uh, a horse, um, which, which often led to this... Um, this misnomer Thawne interesting interestingly enough carried uh, a lightsaber despite seemingly having no need for one because he walked on all fours which probably serves as good precedent for someone like Yoda who we might not assume to use one due to his size or species to wield a lightsaber in the prequels but that's just my editorializing it does seem so much of the, the aliens in Star Wars are they, they stick to humanoid for mm -hmm. obvious reasons, but also like how do you put a lightsaber in the hands of a dinosaur? Well, you just do. It works out. It's great. Why not? Why not? Dinosaurs yeah, and lightsabers. He's, the, he's the best he's the best dinosaur Jedi. You know, we've got two. It's him and, and Coleman Trebber from uh Attack of the Clones and, and he and and Coleman Trebber dies to to uh Jango Fett, so He's out of the running. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so after that, um, Vima is nearly killed at the dark side bog by creatures who seemingly lure her to the giant lizards in the water. But Nomi manifests the use of battle meditation to make the beasts see each other as enemies and fight amongst themselves. And then they flee. Or while, while Nomi and Vima flee. Oz is called away by Tot Donida to assist on Onderon, and Nomi is left alone with Thon and is again sad due to the death of Ander and her loneliness. Though, I mean, Thon's an amazing Jedi, it's not the most comforting creature. Thon gives Nomi some months to grieve before beginning her training, but knows he must, because he has seen that she will become a great Jedi. 
Nomi is still reluctant and refuses to wield or construct a lightsaber, citing Thon's lack of a lightsaber as a reason she did not require one of her own, but she's unaware that he has one. Um, Thon also begins training Vima, who is strong in the Force. And all of this takes place while Thon smokes from a hookah, presumably a Force hookah, because Thon is living his best life. He really is. It's I love I love that picture. It's hilarious to me. That's where the that's where the stuffed Ewok is. That's where um that that's where uh that's where Thon is just sitting there and like there's a picture of him leaning forward, like offering like literally the pipe end to Nomi in the picture, and it looks like he's offering it to you, and it's just I mean, oh it's it's so funny to you know look at that and look back on it and you know it's just <laughs> yeah that's great uh, m- meanwhile Baga captures a pirate named Finhead Stonebone attempting to hijack one of his ships for the ore within the ship is the hollowed out corpse of an Athulian wasp a species of space wasp that grew up to one kilometer in length that's just a real sentence that i actually said they then fitted it with a hyperdrive and other amenities and this was apparently a common practice at the time eventually finhead agrees to help boga after uh, you know threats and violence and near death uh, he agrees to help find thon and retrieve the crystals in exchange for not being murdered it's such a such a common common currency of exchange. The not murder. It's a pretty good yeah. Unit. Yeah, I mean, extortion seems to work pretty well. <laughs> it's, it's it's really the Galactic Republic. The whole Apple, the Star Wars universe runs on extortion. So Nomi, strong in the Force and very strong, and she takes too much of Thon's teaching, but she has become a complete pacifist after the death of Under. Um, Nathan admires this trait. He warns her that Jedi must act to protect the innocent. Thon shows Nomi a holocron created by Jedi Master Udbanar, a neti, which were sentient trees that could take root and create spore-like children. All the neti were Force-sensitive, and Ud will he'll show up again later in Tales of the Jedi. Um, so Ud tells of the history of evil and the dark side and he even has cool pictures, like a Force PowerPoint. <laughs> These Force slides defeat Seth. They do. Um, before Thon asks if the stories are true, um, that a great struggle is coming. Master Ood has a prophetic vision through the Force, because the gatekeeper of the Holocron retains some form of consciousness with of the Creator. Um, in this case, Ood, they can still act via, they can interact via the Force. Um, even after death, or in this case, he's still alive, but he's busy elsewhere. But you can still, he'll still interact with the Holocron. Um, I mean, so Master, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, Veitch created the concept of the Holocron. So, I mean, yeah, I it was it was his idea in the first place. So, yeah, uh, you know, do what you do, man, I guess. It's also neat because the Holocron, I think, is the first instance we see of any um, any physical media. In the entire Star Wars uh, universe up to that point, there's like code sent between machines and we know that they have um, screens and interactions, but we don't know of any like other like here is a device that holds a fixed story. Yeah, um, no, you're you're right. The the holocrons. It's interesting because like you'll see like um, 
like news programs or something like that show up on their version of, of televisions or screens or whatever. Um, but they don't, um, but, but they don't have these like compendiums of information that you would think such an advanced society would have. But then Veitch created this. I mean, he, he did it as a storytelling device because he wanted to tell stuff about the old Republic and he just couldn't for a few years due to, you know, in, internal issues. Um, but, it, you know, they, they became a really interesting concept to the point that uh, they're a huge part of, of, of stories even today, including uh, Rebels. They, they played a huge part in um, the second and third seasons of, of the show Rebels. And uh, there, you know, are tons of holocrons spread out and, and Veitch basically use them, uses them as a way to tell backstory and storytelling elements. But, uh, but, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I had never, I haven't really thought about it like that, but yeah, I mean, they, they use it as like a, as a flash drive to hold like infinite amounts of information. And, and also it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way for us to be able to see it. Yeah. And we've seen like a few other forms of media in like the newer, mm-hmm movies and there's other stuff like there's obviously the files in uh the like the the file room in rogue one and the um the books in last jedi but that's the holocrons i think are the most they feel the stars warsiest the most Mm -hmm. unique to the setting yeah and and you know just one thing before we go on the thing about the holocrons is only jedi or i'm sorry only force sensitives could create holocrons and only as far as we know, uh, I think only force sensitives could open holocrons. And and that's definitely true in the canon. And I'm almost positive it's true in, in Legends as well. Um, and whereas, you know, uh, Jin and the crew in Rogue One, they have to get this, you know, this piece of information and they have to beam it up to the rebel ships. The, the holocron, you know, it, it could hold that. It could hold all of the information on the vault at Scarif and, and you know, 10,000 times that as well. They're described as holding, like, uh, all of the recorded histories of the Sith or of the Jedi or, like, of this species or, you know, something like that. So, you know, when we're talking about, about a holocron, this is, this is something that, that only interacts through the force and can hold more information because it is be, because it is based in the force. Man, I hadn't, I hadn't put that together, but that's fascinating because one of the things, um, like one of my like favorite fan theories, and I don't know how I feel about it, but the, uh, the notion that like the star Wars universe is largely one without, without written or without it's a, the, the illiterate universe theory that um, there's very little knowledge or written knowledge and like there's video that people watch, but there's not repositories of accessible language. Mm -hmm. And a corollary to that, right, is if that the, if you have a near infinite storehouse of information that only works for four sensitive people and most societies um, have four sensitive people in them who can carry that on. And then you have a galactic empire that makes being force sensitive a death sentence. Mm-hmm. You suddenly wipe out a whole level of knowledge, mm-hmm. um, an access point for anyone under your rule. Um, I don't think that's a conscious choice they made in this series, but it's a really interesting way to think about 
how knowledge um, exists in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you you go back and you, you know, you look and, and I mean, obviously these are, you know, these are stories, these are plot elements that were developed this way, but, you know, if the Jedi, you know, had maybe said, okay, we're going to teach, we're going to teach a little bit more about the dark side. We're going to teach a little bit more about, um, uh, you know, about, about our history and not be so tight lipped about it. And so worried that if they taught, you know, uh, a young, you know, a youngling or, or a Padawan something that, that they were definitely going to go down uh, the, the dark side, they, you know, I, I'm, you know, it probably wouldn't have saved them, but it's just something where they, they had all of this information. Not only did they not use it to help the, you know, the group, the group of force sensitives that they were teaching, they didn't really use it to help themselves that much either because they didn't, you know, they didn't learn. They assumed they were, you know, so strong in the force and everything. So, um, I don't think it was a conscious choice maybe that was made at the time when Lucas was writing Revenge of the Sith or anything but but now in the new canon they've they've done a lot with that like how you're saying you know Palpatine though he uh, obviously hated the Jedi he kept much of that information and the person who destroyed that information was Jocasta New who broke into the Jedi archives to retrieve a list of force sensitive younglings. So the empire wouldn't have it. She was ultimately unsuccessful. Um, but during the process, she deleted a huge amount of the Jedi archives information to deny it from the, to, to deny it from them. Now she didn't destroy holocrons or anything but it you know it's just something when we're talking about how this uh this information you know the information barriers that they have and how spread out and large the galaxy is how slow information is to travel even though they can communicate not not at quantum levels but at at near quantum levels across you know thousands of light years it's you know it's just interesting that that's the way that they've decided to go now because they they are they are focusing on showing more of those those artifacts and those that that information brokering I guess yeah it's super neat yeah I'm excited the, the canon is fun the structure is fun the way they order knowledge in the universe is surprisingly deep or has the potential for surprising depth um, that said let's get back into it so. Um, so they're talking to Ood through the holocron about a prediction. Um, Master Ood predicts a great shadow of the dark side will fall over the galaxy in Nomi's lifetime, when even great Jedi Knights will fall and she will play an important role. So then Vima gets scared um, because she's a child and a projection of a tree was talking probably, but you know, also maybe because it's a dark prophecy. Um, and then Thon stops the holocron. Yeah, and um, and when we say she's a child, I don't mean that like, you know, oh, you're you're a baby. 
you know, you can't handle this. Like, uh, you know, if a, if a talking tree in a box started making prophecies about me, I'd probably be scared too. And I'm in my mid thirties, you know, so I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. You know? No, Absolutely. So before the group returns to Athan's homestead, um, Thon gives gifts his lightsaber to Nomi, saying his greatest apprentice deserves it. Both the compliment and the lightsaber shock Nomi, who reluctantly accepts but still doesn't want to use it. Eventually, Baga's men reach Ambria and attack. Nomi still refuses to use the lightsaber or her Jedi power to save Thon and Vima. Finhead captures Thon. After he decides to submit to teach Nomi the role of necessary Jedi intervention, even violence, in times of direst need. Nomi has run off with Vima in her arms and hidden behind a large uh, outcropping or rock or something with uh, BD, the, the droid, who doesn't really do anything in this story except get shot up by these gangsters like three times and then simultaneously repaired except every time Nomi and Vima are away she just goes she she just yells and the gangsters will show up and she goes up I'm sure the mistress and the child are dead now she she says it like two or three times like she's just like yep they're dead but better better go these these gangsters killed them you know so she's just She's ready for him to die, I guess. Uh, Baga's men have the crystals and Thawne and are nearly back to their ship when Nomi finally understands what Thawne meant about Jedi power and intervenes. Using her power of, beta, uh, using her power of battle meditation, Nomi confuses the thugs who begin fighting amongst themselves over the crystals and then finally takes up the lightsaber and sees that it is not only a weapon, but also a tool to focus and amplify the force. Nomi carves through the thugs and cuts the chains off Thawne. The two then fight as master and apprentice with Thawne producing waves of force energy and Nomi slicing down any thugs who come near. After their enemies are finally defeated and scattered, the group is safe and look forward to the next challenge as Nomi, as Nomi continues her training under Thon on Ambria. Awesome. Yeah. And so that's, that's our, our story for the week. That's the, the chapter of the history we're going through, the surprise in-depth detour on holocrons. Thanks for listening to A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we'll talk about a Sith warrior named Warb Null, and we will finally, finally meet Exar Kun. Uh, please rate, comment, and subscribe to FOTOR on Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, thank you for the five-star ratings on iTunes. Ratings and comments help the show, and we really appreciate them. Follow us on Twitter at FOTORPod or email us at FOTORPodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. I'm Atherton KD on Twitter. And I'm at Luke is amazing on Twitter. Thank you again. And may the force be with you.